This week on Raffi Reviews. Raffi Reviews, Avengers Endgame. talented actors and still it feels like it's never going to stop it feels like even at our end there's still room to continue now whether that's just that's just coming from a place of money and you know creative properties being milked for all they're worth. For as much as you could judge Disney or Marvel Studios or the people behind these movies for continuously scraping in more and more viewers just based off the promise that, oh, the next one will be just like Avengers. The next one will be just like Avengers. This guy, he's going to be just like Iron Man. This guy, he's going to be just like Captain America. We promise. If ever one of these movies, whether they're good or they're bad, whether people celebrate them or people critique them and judge them as if this is going to be the Marvel movie that breaks the trend and we can all go back to the way things were, you have to, you have to respect and you have to be amazed at, at what's been built off the foundation of Iron Man 1. Right? Iron Man 1 came out back in, what, 2008? It's been 11 years. Just process that for a moment. No movie series has done something like this. Many have tried. And many have changed their entire cast, their entire stories, their entire universe in order to keep an engine going, in order to keep... Uh, a, a movie franchise breathing. But the Marvel Cinematic Universe isn't like James Bond, where every couple of movies it's a different character, it's a different continuity, it's different, but it's what you know. The Marvel Cinematic Universe is not like the Star Wars movies, where there is a story, but now we got to talk about what happened before that. But don't worry, now we're going to talk about what happens after the story you like. The Marvel Cinematic Universe is unique in that it has been one cohesive story from start to finish and it still has room to, to go and, and to create more content. And it's incredible that we've, we've been able to watch the journey of this, this universe not just through our own eyes but through the eyes of you know the, the, the next generation of people. When I was a child... The Spider-Man I knew from the movies was Tobey Maguire. And I'm sure that's 
the same with a lot of people. But I, sometimes I stop and I think to myself, it's amazing that my brother gets to have his own Spider-Man. And, you know, generations from now, my, you know, if I have a son, he'll, he might know a different Spider-Man. The, the, the thing I'm trying to get to here is that we started this journey in Iron Man 1. And we started it believing that Iron Man was just going to be another superhero movie. Another Green Lantern, or actually Green Lantern wasn't out, <laughs> edit that. Um, we thought it would just be, you know, a Superman Returns, or a Daredevil, or again another Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie, or one of the X-Men movies. We just thought it was a superhero movie. And even from then, we started to see the Marvel Cinematic Universe blossom and grow and build. By the time of Avengers, it was already pretty spectacular that we had gotten that far. But beyond Avengers, to see what the MCU has done, you know, Doctor Strange, Guardians of the Galaxy, Ant-Man, Black Panther, just so many films that have expanded beyond what we know of superhero movies to be. You know, Captain America, The Winter Soldier, isn't just a, a movie about a superhero, it's a movie about uh, political espionage. It's a movie about a world government system being flawed and being puppeteered by a darker, more... a darker, more sinister force. It's a, a movie that reflects what happens here. As a Civil War, as is Black Panther. Almost all of these movies are smarter than anyone could ever expect a superhero movie to be. So, to watch the series of movies come to this conclusion, this endgame, this payoff for everything we know up to this point, is incredible. And this movie... It does so much to pat itself on the back. It does so much to reference itself, reference its own history. You know, it, it goes back and it, it touches its own... It, well, I don't want to say it that way. It goes back and it, it, it directly faces the stories we already know. And yet, despite all that, it feels fresh. It feels different. It feels new. To know that we've gotten to a point where the MCU can fold in on itself and do a complete loop and just keep going without any ramifications is just amazing. I think even if you're someone that doesn't like superhero movies or you're someone who just you know doesn't think they're anything beyond a bunch of people in costumes punching each other, again, you have to be amazed at what... Disney and Marvel Studios and Kevin Feige have pulled off, you know, Iron, Iron Man may have a trilogy, Captain America may have a trilogy, but from Iron Man 1 to Endgame, this has been a series of movies that all take place in the same universe, that all reference each other, this is a complete series, and it's not one that depends on any one person, it may have started with one person, but as, as the movies went on, people picked their favorites. And now it's this whole support system of, of likable actors and intelligent directors and writers. It's this... 
it's what I th it's what we all want as human beings. <laughs> at, at the end of the day, the MCU is what every person wants when they want to be successful. It's it's something to be a part of, and it's something to be proud to be a part of. Anyway, let's talk about this fucking movie. So coming out of Avengers: Infinity War, um, I was very excited for this film because I'm so I was so like. Maybe not happy, but, like, I respected the ending of Infinity War. I was amazed and impressed that Marvel Studios and, and the Russo brothers allowed the Avengers to lose. Because you hardly ever see that in movies. You hardly ever see that in superhero movies, especially. The heroes lost. A bunch of the new property characters, like Black Panther and Spider-Man, were killed. And they left off on that. And we we enjoyed uh, an Ant-Man the Wasp movie. Uh, we all kind of <laughs> trudged through a Captain Marvel movie to get back to this point, to continue the story, and to understand what happens next. And the film kind of answers that. Tony Stark ends up, uh, ends up back on Earth with Nebula. He can't... He can't fight Thanos again. It, he, he... Not after what he went through. But Nebula and the rest of the Avengers and Rocket... They go after Thanos. They find him. And they're they're joined by Captain Marvel, who's, you know, the, the newest character in this movie. And they find Thanos. And he destroyed the stones. Because he's such a self-righteous son of a bitch... He said, I didn't need the stones anymore, so I destroyed them with the stones. And, you know, with that last glimmer of hope gone, Thor murders Thanos by going for the head. <laughs> um, and we, we cut to five years later. And I think that's the part that kind of amazed me, because I, I had a feeling that there might be some kind of time jump. I didn't expect it to be as long as five years. Um, mainly because so much can change in five years. But, yeah, the MCU currently is five years ahead of now. So I think it's like 2023 in the MCU timeline. But it, it's so amazing because in doing the five-year time jump, we get to see characters go in much different directions, which leads to new interactions, which is always good. But we also get to see the, the kind of like the fallout of Infinity War. Because even five years later, the world is just a much more depressed place. There are, you know, abandoned stadiums in New York City. There's unkept houses on, like, streets. And 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 everyone, everyone cries. Like, I mean, not all at once, but, like, we see that Steve Rogers, Captain America, runs a therapy group. And it's for people that are having trouble moving on from the, the the Thanos snap, right? And among the people there, you actually have one of the Russo brothers, um, and you you actually have Jim Starlin, the creator the creator of Thanos. He's in that therapy group too, um, not because he created Thanos, but because he's a fictional character in this movie. Um, but what is it? Uh, one of the Russo brothers, I think it's Joe Russo. His character talks about how he tried to have dinner with someone, and the two of them ended up crying, you know, over the course of the dinner. 
Um, and it's just, it, it, it's so depressing because I think, I think after Infinity War, we all kind of, we all kind of looked at the fact that half of life was eliminated in the universe, including half the life on Earth. Um, and, and everyone just had these thoughts and these theories of like, oh man, but like, what if, what if you were a doctor delivering a baby or what if you were a, a pilot operating a plane? Like, things could go horrible. So many things could go wrong. And yeah, things did. And, and now the world is, is miserable. And the only thing keeping the world relatively safe is kind of a ragtag, uh, you know, barely stitched together version of the Avengers, which again now includes Nebula and Rocket um, and Captain Marvel, to, to name a few. And uh, yeah, it's the the atmosphere of this film up until I mean there there is comedy, but like you kind of feel that atmosphere change as the movie goes along because at first it's very depressing. But as soon as the Avengers kind of get their shit together and understand what their plan is going to be, uh, the movie becomes pretty fun. Uh, it, it's centered around time travel, which is always a fun thing to play with. And then towards the end, there's there's these these rising and lowering moments of, holy shit! Like how are they going to get how are they going to get out of this one? To also like, holy crap! This is awesome to watch. The movie just like it, it rails up the entire like it, the whole movie goes uphill. I think there's not really a moment where you can relax or like go on your phone or walk out of the room. Like the movie progressively grows upward, which is 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 good. I think a lot of movies, especially superhero movies, have a problem of rising and lowering action. But because of the urgency of the situation, because of what the Avengers are trying to do, there's never a point in the movie where you feel safe because you know something's going to happen. Um so, yeah, that's that, that's what I have to say about the basic plot. Um, again, I think it's awesome what they're doing with time travel, um, and we'll we'll talk about that more. But in the usual Raffi review style, uh, I have to move into character stuff. So the big uh, the big I'll say one of the big main characters in this. Um, I, I'm not talking about all of the main all. I'm not talking about all the characters in this movie because. <laughs> I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna spend time talking about like, oh, what's the Witcher Soldier doing after this point? You know, like I, uh, I'm just gonna talk about the characters that, uh, strongly, affect the story, and and have a lot to do. Um, so, uh, we'll start. Yeah, I guess we'll start at the beginning here. <laughs> uh, so Tony Stark, Iron Man, played by Robert Downey Jr. Uh, in his last, I mean. <laughs> until until they do something else, uh, in his assumedly last uh, appearance in the MCU as Tony Stark, um, because he dies in this movie. <laughs> if you didn't know there were spoilers yet, there we go. So, like, his arc is is really interesting, and it's kind of reflective as well, because after Infinity War, I saw a lot of. Uh, videos and think pieces on why Tony Stark and Thanos kind of work as like um like a hero and villain, like arch enemy kind of opposites kind of situation. Because they are kind of similar. You know, Thanos he put any sense of morality behind him when he decided what what was best for 
but for humanity or mankind or the universe or whatever, you know, Thanos thought that he knew best, and if it meant sacrificing the people he cared about, if it meant sacrificing his own life, as long as he accomplished the mission to make things better in the universe, then he, he had no problem doing what he had to do. And Iron Man, there's kind of a similar take there, because all Iron Man ever wanted to do was protect the Earth at all costs. If that meant severing ties with his friends, or giving up his own personal freedoms, or, you know, even sacrificing his own life, again, he would, he would do it to keep everyone safe. Even if it was, it was bad for him or bad for the people he cared about, he'd do anything to keep everyone else safe. And... And it, uh, we, we see with Thanos, it kind of turned into an obsession, whereas with Iron Man, it turned into this, this steep, um, like, self-destructive, like, part of him. The fact that Iron Man wanted to keep everyone safe throughout these movies is what kept getting him in trouble. You know, Ultron, the Sokovia Accords, the fact that he, he couldn't call Steve in Infinity War because of all the shit he went through with him at the end of, of uh, Civil War. Iron Man was his worst, his own worst enemy, because he just was trying to protect everyone, and obviously with Thanos, he he took it to to its extreme. So, you know, needless to say, Tony Stark's arc is very interesting in this movie, because he takes the loss. You know, he doesn't he doesn't do the Tony Stark thing of inventing his way out of it. He understands that they had one chance to prevent Thanos from doing what he did, and they failed. And and Tony doesn't take failure very well. So he gives up, and in the five-year gap, he settles down with Pepper, and they have a daughter uh, named Morgan. And again, big deal, right? Because we kind of see Tony, at least how he reacted with Peter and stuff, and the dream he had in Infinity War. There's been foreshadowing of Tony becoming a father. Um, it's also interesting because, hey, now there's this, now there's this daughter of Tony Stark sitting around. What potential stories could we tell with her? I know she's like five, but what, what could we, what kind of stories can we tell with her? Um, but initially he doesn't, uh, you know, when the Avengers go to him saying, hey, we're trying to do time travel, um, Tony isn't up for it. And it's understandable because now he has a daughter, which means... If they did the typical time travel thing of reversing events, his daughter wouldn't be there anymore. Um, but Tony, <laughs> because he's Iron Man, he figures out how time travel works, and they're able to take part in the time travel mission. And this leads to a lot of cool scenes with Tony, um, specifically him going back to the 1970s and having a conversation with his father, um, Harold? No, Howard. Howard Stark. Um, which is cool. Uh, we actually get a cameo by Human Jarvis from the Agent Carter TV show, which is amazing because it's the first time a TV show Marvel character has appeared in a in a Marvel movie. So that's great. That's that's exactly what I want from the Marvel universe. I want more TV or Netflix Marvel characters to appear uh, in these movies, even if it's a small capacity like that cameo. Um, yeah, Tony has his moment in the 70s, and, you know, the, the final battle, of course, uh, <laughs> he, he plays a big part in it. 
he uh, what is it in the final battle battle when uh, when Pepper shows up she has her own armor that Tony had made for her uh, and that was really cool because you know we're never gonna see that again you know Gwyneth Paltrow doesn't I don't think she likes doing these movies um, but knowing this was gonna probably be her last one and in this one she gets a, a cool Iron Man suit um, hopefully that's that's kind of reason to have her stick around or. I don't know, if, she, if this is going to be the last time we see Pepper Potts in the MCU, I'm totally fine with that, because again, she actually, like, did something. I guess she did stuff in Iron Man 3 towards the end as well, but, like, this this felt way more earned. Um, I mean, she is, she is kind of like the first lady of the Marvel Universe, one way or the other. Um, but yeah, that final battle is, uh, <laughs> it's, it's really cool. The way, I mean, I... See, it's tough to review this movie because I'm just going to end up rambling about all the scenes that I thought were awesome, and I want to talk about everything in this movie, but there was just so much in it. Um, you know, it definitely filled out that three-hour uh, time. Uh, Jesus, I, I saw this movie twice, okay? I spent six hours of my life seeing this movie and every other hour afterwards just thinking about it, and... Like, there's so many great moments that, again, I, I kind of have to hop and skip over to just get to my to my final thoughts. Um, but I, I loved Tony's, uh, his ending, in a way. You know, at the end of the movie, when Tony grabs the Infinity Gems from Thanos, it's just so satisfying because Thanos, that, that entire war scene... He's trying to get the gauntlet. He's trying to put it, and he gets it on his hand. Oh no! And he's gonna snap his fingers. But oh no, Captain Marvel stops him. Thank God, he's not doing it right now. Oh no, he hit Captain Marvel away. He's gonna snap his fingers. And Tony, <laughs> using uh, rolling for sleight of hand, if you will, um, gets the gems off of the the Infinity Gauntlet, or I guess the Iron Gauntlet, because he because Tony made it. Um, and, like, Thanos tries to snap everyone away again, and, like, nothing happens, and it's just, like, a satisfying moment, because Thanos is like, what? No, but I win. I got the, I got the thing. I got the gems. Um, and it's great, because it's, like, again, this movie is so quotable with, with where it puts its lines, because, uh, what is it? In the beginning of the movie, when they kill present-day Thanos, um, he says that, you know, he is inevitable. What he did was inevitable. He, he believes fully in his destiny. And and it happened, and there's no way to undo it. Obviously, President Thanos doesn't know they have time travel. Um, through pin particles, by the way, which is awesome. We'll get to that. Um, but no, the, the, the line at the end where past Thanos, who is just like high off his own fumes... Is, is he has the gauntlet and he's, he thinks he has the stones and he says I am I am inevitable just like his his other self. He snaps his fingers, nothing happens, and Tony lifts off lifts up his hand, and you see the gems that are now part of his suit, and <laughs> and I thought because he he says I am and he spaces it out. I thought he was gonna be like I am an Avenger, um, anyway, I am Tony Stark or. I am a pain in the ass, or I am stubborn, like anything else. But I did not expect, for whatever reason, I didn't expect this. Uh, he says the the quote from the end of the first movie, uh, I am Iron Man. I wish he didn't whisper it 
he kinda, I don't know, he kind of just said it a little bit too plain. Like, I, I wish that quote had a bit more gusto to it. Um, but it was still satisfying to, to hear him say it, to snap his fingers, and, and save the day. And, again, Tony dies. They have, you know, oh my god. Tony dies, and, like, Pepper and Peter just have, like, great acting at that moment. Um, you know, they have this big funeral with them where all the franchises stand together. Uh, which I saw a lot of people, like, laughing about that. But, like, the thing is, like, if you're at a funeral, you're probably going to be standing with people that you know best. You know, like, I, I have a very large family. If someone passed, you know, God forbid, if someone passed, I'd probably still be standing with my parents. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, all the franchises stand together, and they send out onto a lake um, Tony's first arc reactor, the one that Pepper kept and labeled proof that Tony Stark has a heart. Like, just, again, the Russos did such a great job at just using the, like, the MCU's history to help emphasize the, the story that they were telling. And that's very true with Tony Stark. Um, yeah, he's really great in this. I think he has a great send-off. Um, I'm interested to see, you know, what's going to happen with Tony's daughter, or, you know, what's going to have a war machine... Like, where, where does the Iron Man legacy go from ne from here, you know? Um, another big character, one of my favorite characters in the MCU, probably the one I, I love the most, uh, Steve Rogers' Captain America, uh, played by Chris Evans. Again, just, like, this guy, like, with Iron Man, I would say, has been carrying the MCU on his back. You know, he, Cap hasn't had a bad movie. Every movie Cap has been in, he's had, like, awesome stuff to do. And, again, I, I love his arc in this. He's He's been around for such a long time, and, like, he's used to loss is the interesting part for me, because, obviously, obviously he's he's upset and distraught about failing and, and half of the population dying, but, like, you don't, you don't see it on him as much, but I feel like he's probably suffering even more than everyone else. Because this is only the second time he's lost, like, everyone, like, not everyone, but, like, because he was frozen in the ice, everyone he knew from the 1940s is dead and gone, or has Alzheimer's or whatever, and, and this is just another instance where, like, the world is taken away from him, and he's helpless, he, is, he was helpless to do anything. Um, but despite that, he, he tries to stay on the bright side, but... You know, he has a lot of great moments in this, too. Uh, the, the Captain America versus Captain America fight when they travel back to uh, Avengers 1 is really good. <laughs> it's funny to hear present-day Steve, like, fight past Steve, and past Steve is like, I can do this all day. Um, and present-day Steve is like, yeah, yeah, I know. Like, even he's kind of tired of that, that catchphrase. Um, again, much more of an emphasis on him... Like, remembering and reminiscing about Peggy Carter. Foreshadowing. Um, yeah, just... I, what else? What else? Um, him going back to the army base and seeing Peggy, but not being able to talk to her. That tugged at the heartstrings. Um, America's ass. I love that joke. I <laughs> That is such a great... Like, that's such a great uh, running bit to kind of carry out of the movie. That Captain America has America's ass. Um, what else, what else? 
Um, I guess towards the I guess the war scene is really the next place we have to go with that, because Cap fights Thanos. Um, he does a he does a pretty good job at it. I gotta say, like it's past Thanos, so you know he, he's a bit more naive and full of himself, but he's still strong. Um, he doesn't have the Infinity Gauntlet, so it's a kind of a fair fight, I guess. Um, but Cap, Thor, and Iron Man fight Thanos, and I, I, I was really happy that Cap wasn't, like, bitched out by Thanos. I'm really glad Cap could kind of hold his own against Thanos, just because, like, between the three of them, Cap, like, I feel like he's underestimated a lot of the time, like, oh, he has super strength, or, oh, he's really fast, and he knows martial arts, whatever, Thanos is, like, an alien demigod or whatever, and it's, like, to know that the same guy who, to know, like, Thanos has a, has tr <laughs> to know Thanos has a hard time trying to kill Thor, but also trying to kill Captain America, like, it brings everyone down on kind of, like, a, a level where no one feels overpowered, I guess, um, like, by that logic, Thor could probably, like, Thor could probably have a hard time beating Captain America by that logic, you know, but, but yeah, Cap fights, and of course, like the moment that made my uh, my my uh, what is it, my cinema, my movie theater like cheer, was the moment where Cap picks up Mjolnir, like the original hammer of Thor, and he just wields it because in that moment Cap is now worthy. And you know, there's a couple of different theories on that. Like there's a theory that Cap has been worthy in the entire time, and that he just didn't lift it in Age of Ultron. Because he didn't want to upset Thor. Um, which, you know, he's humble, so it makes sense. Um, there's a theory that, like, after Winter Soldier and after uh, uh, Civil War, like, there was just kind of, like, personal shit in the way of Cap being worthy. And there's theories that just say, oh, in that moment, Cap was worthy because, like, he continued to fight. Um, but there's a couple of different ideas and ways you can look at it, but, I, I mean... I think we all knew this was going to happen at some point ever since Age of Ultron because Cap is just this pure-hearted person and again <laughs> it's just a really cool idea to see Captain America fighting with Thor's hammer um you know conducting lightning and hitting Thanos with it and like it, it's really it's really evident of how much of a strategist that Captain America is and this is a part of Captain America's power set that doesn't come from the super soldier serum Cap is just smart, and he's got, like, a great imagination. And that comes into play when he, you know, teams up with Thor to do, like, combo attacks, or teams up with Iron Man to do combo attacks. But it's super evident in the way he uses his shield and the way he uses his shield with Mjolnir. Because um, there's, like, there's the indication, because when Thor sees that Cap can lift it, he's like, oh, I knew it. So there's the indication that Cap has never lifted the hammer before and used it. But despite never using it, he knows what he's doing. You know, he's watched Thor fight with the hammer. Like, he's conducting electricity, he's swinging the hammer, like, really fast and stuff. Um, and again, he throws, like, he throws, uh, what is it? He throws his shield, and then he throws the hammer at the shield, makes, like, a sonic boom, returns the hammer. Like, he's just doing these awesome combo moves with his hammer and his shield, and, and you know the action choreographer had to have a lot of, like, fun with that scene. Um, but yeah, that, that moment in the war scene where it's just Captain America, his shield is broken in half, and his arm is like all busted up, and he's covered in dirt and blood, and he still gets up, 
and he still is ready to stand against Thanos and Thanos' entire army. You know, it's it's evident of Captain America's legacy. Captain America will forever be known as the guy who will stand up to an army of bullies even if he's by himself. You know, Cap won't stop. Cap doesn't get afraid. Cap doesn't get overwhelmed. Like, Captain America will fight everyone he has to to assure that the world is safe. He, he won't stop. And I that that's what I love about Captain America. Um, but then, of course, you know, by that point, everyone that was snapped away is snapped back in. And so, Doctor Strange and Wong open those portals and the whole fucking army shows up. And, God, it's so cool because it's like, not only do all the heroes who got snapped away show up for the final battle, like, characters like Valkyrie and the Wasp and, um, and, like, Korg and Meek, like, just, just characters that you didn't see in Infinity War show up to come help in the fight. And I think there's even a cameo by Howard the Duck. Like, like it's really hard to miss because he's part of a crowd of people. But you do see Howard the Duck show up for that final battle. It's, like, one shot in the entire, like, sequence, but he's with, like, all the Ravengers that come from outer space, um, which is the other really cool thing, because not only do you get characters you didn't see in Infinity War, you get, like, legions of characters. You get the Wakandans. You get all the sorcerers from, from Doctor Strange, you know, the ones we forgot about that, were like, studied at a monastery? All those sorcerers show up. So we have, like like, 80 to 100 mini Doctor Stranges that come to help. Um, you have the Ravagers, who are just a bunch of, like, space, like, space bounty hunters and space, like, rogues and stuff. Like, they're just, like, space people. <laughs> um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, and then you have Valkyrie and all the Asgardians that are living on Earth. Like, God, like, it's just these legions of characters that show up to come help. Um, and that's awesome, because, like, I would, again, you wouldn't have thought of that. You, you would think it's just gonna be all the heroes, but it's like, no. Over these movies, these heroes have gained favor with, like, groups of people. Armies, and, 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 you know, teams like the Ravengers, and, and the Valkyrie, and stuff. I don't know. It's just, <clears throat> I, I was blown away by the fact that they used all the fucking sorcerers from Doctor Strange. Because, like, again... Russo Brothers doing their homework using stuff from movies you forgot about. Um, it's incredible. It's just an incredible... Like, again, Cap Cap gets his army. And, and of course, this is where, again, after, like, 11 years, we get the payoff. We get the moment where Cap is standing there with this these this army of characters. And he just, he just says it. He says, Avengers assemble and everyone just runs out and it's so cool again kind of wish she yelled assemble kind of wish she didn't whisper it would have been cool but whatever it's still a cool moment because he still said avengers assemble um yeah that big war scene happens and cap has a couple of great moments in there and then by the end when you know the war is done and tony has funeral cap loads i'm sorry <clears throat> Cap volunteers to return the Infinity Stones to where they took them in time, uh, as well as returning Mjolnir to Thor 2. And he disappears, and when they see him again, he doesn't time travel back. He's an old man sitting on a bench. Because after returning the, the stones, Cap 
went back to, like, the 40s or whatever and just lived a life with Peggy Carter. And because he never had that. He never had a life, and he never got to be with the woman he loved. And so he went out there and he got it. And now he's an old man, and he passes on the title of Captain America to Sam Wilson. And again, you know, if people are kind of upset that it didn't go to Bucky, um, my thought process was that, like, Bucky kind of got enough. Like, Bucky already got a second chance by being kind of rescued by Cap and not being the Witcher Soldier anymore. Plus, Bucky has, you know, a lot of psychological baggage. Much like Captain America, Bucky is this man who is out of time. Like, Bucky just has too many, like, scars on him to pick up such a role like this. And, and like, that's not to say Bucky couldn't be Captain America, but I think the logic is that Sam is just newer and, like, has fresher blood. You know, Sam as Falcon... He's, he's, it's weird because they kind of treat him like he's been around for a long time. But, like, the truth is he hasn't done all that much. And so this is kind of Falcon's chance to branch out and be his own man instead of just being kind of like a, a backup singer for Captain America. So I'm totally fine with that. I hope, I want to see Ca- uh, I want to see Sam Wilson as Captain America soon because uh, I, I think that's a good place to kind of bring that character because with the Winter Soldier, you can go multiple places. But I think with Falcon, there's only really one ultimatum you can make with him. But, uh, yeah, Cap gets to be old. And he, he, he got to have a life with Peggy. Which I know is going to open up a, a lot of questions. But, uh, trust me, it, it works. So, Thor's fat. Um, <laughs> the, because he had killed Thanos and nothing really good came of that. It was more of a mercy killing than anything. Um, Thor kind of fall kind of falls from grace. You know, he he opens up New Asgard, which is cool, but like he uh, he eventually just becomes like a fat drunk um, hero. Well, I guess like fallen hero who's in denial. Like he's just he's just pathetic. He's just a sad sack of a person. And being part of this mission. And trying to save the world using the Infinity Gems by going through time and stuff like this is all, this is all Thor's chance of redemption. He he knows that, and he's obsessed with that. And he he kind of has some pathetic moments because all he wants is redemption. And again, that totally fits with Thor's character because because it seems like in in the original Thor and in Thor Ragnarok, you know you kind of get that depiction of Thor where he's trying to redeem himself and he's trying to rise to the the expectations given to him um which is a big part of his character he he is conditioned to believe that he has to be the best he has to be the strongest he has to be a god and that kind of expectation is what drags him into the mud and you know puts him in bad shape and all that because he knows he failed and he knows that as a god he shouldn't fail um it's a great way of depicting a character who, you know, by definition is a god, but also kind of scaling them down to our level, because, you know, that's that's the definition of Marvel, you know, is gods trying to be human, but Thor is kind of a god that's afraid to be human. And, and it shows. Like, again, when you see him, he is fat. He is threatening the lives of 12-year-olds over Fortnite. He's just a drunk loser. And... But he's also a Norse god of thunder. You you would never think that a character like that could sink so low, but 
that's just how human Thor is. And, you know, there's a whole point during the time travel bit where he has a conversation with his mother on the day that his mother is going to die, and Thor too, by the way, um, that, you know, we, we get that sense of, like, he doesn't have to be a god, he just has to be himself, and that's good enough. You know, he fails just like everyone else does. It doesn't make him worse. Um, and again, just using content from Thor 2, like, I know you, uh, Thor the Dark World, I know you had to because of the, the reality gem or whatever, but, like, thanks, Russos. Thanks for making Thor the Dark World just a little bit better <laughs> by by doing that. Um, I didn't put Rocket down as a character I wanted to talk about, but I do like how Rocket tries to motivate Thor by basically guilt-tripping him. Like, yeah, Thor lost his mom on this day, but Rocket lost, like, his whole family. <laughs> so, he's kind of got him beat. Then again, like, most of Asgard is dead at that point, so whatever. Um, but yeah, Thor was just done really well. I, I love that they didn't unfat him. Because uh, <laughs> they could have easily just been like, oh, he conducted electricity, which burned off the calories, and now he's done. No, no, he's he's fat now. Okay, that's just where he is right now. If he if he got that fat over time, he's gonna have to lose the weight like everyone else. Some god he is. Um, but like you know, there's a bit where he's dual wielding Mjolnir because when he when the when he goes to Thor the Dark World when he goes to that part of the MCU, um, he's still worthy, and I mean, you could argue that he's really not worthy. You could argue that because there were two Thors at that moment in time. The hammer just didn't register that future Thor was a different person. Or you can just take it as, no, even when he fails, Thor is worthy because he has to be or because he believes himself to be, even if he doesn't want to admit it, he is worthy. But we get to see, like, Fat Thor armor out and dual-wield uh, Mjolnir and Stormbreaker, and it's really cool. Again, like great moves. He throws Mjolnir in the air, then bats it with uh, Stormbreaker. Um, he's throwing both of them and juggling them and shit. Like, it's cool. They, they do really cool stuff with the hammer and, and, and Stormbreaker. Um, I don't... Just... A weird direction for Thor, but one that I think works complete with, completely with his character. And I think it works really well because it contrasts um, both Ragnarok and Infinity War so well. Because after Ragnarok, and, you know, halfway through Infinity War, Thor gets, you know, his mojo back. In, in Thor Ragnarok, he gets his his thunder back, and he proves that he doesn't need a hammer. In Infinity War, he gets a hammer. But, but it's also an axe, so it's different and cool. Um, but he also gets, like, a new costume. And when, when, when Thor shows up for the final battle in, in Infinity War, it's this big holy shit moment, because he tips the, the scales of battle so much, because he's so strong. Um, you know, by... By that point in Infinity War, you're like, wow, this is, like, the strongest Thor has been. And then you see him again in Endgame, and he's just a fucking loser. And you're like, oh my god, like, that wouldn't have worked as well if we didn't see Thor at his best in the last movie. Um, also, it goes without saying that Thor is played by Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> um, but he's cool. Thor gets to go off with the Guardians at the end of the movie, so I'm wondering if Guardians of the Galaxy 3 is going to have Thor in it. And if so, that's a cool idea. This is probably my favorite depiction of the Hulk. Uh, you know, Bruce Banner, played by Mark Ruffalo. After that five-year gap, 
Bruce Banner, you know, spent a lot of time in a lab and a lot of time discovering himself and and merged with the Hulk. And, like, I think people are probably going to be upset because at the end of Infinity War, they kind of left this idea that Hulk was, like, afraid of Thanos and stuff. But, like, this just, again, it feels like a natural progression, you know? We already knew that the Hulk was getting smarter. We already knew that Hulk had felt fear for the first time. Why wouldn't the Hulk want to merge with Banner? Because because if they merge, then there's no there's no difference. There's no like hating or resenting each other. Like like Hulk and Bruce Banner were just two parts of the same personality, and Professor Hulk is are those two identities finally completed with each other. You know, it's a it's a perfect merging. Um, and I think it works really well. I remember when, when I first saw Professor Hulk, um, at that diner scene, and he's, he's eating, like, huge bowls of scrambled eggs and burritos. It takes you back for him. It takes you, like, like, it takes you, like, an out-of-body experience for a minute, because you're like, oh my, it's like, it's the Hulk, but it's Mark Ruffalo's face and voice. What? And, like, again, I feel like people might be disappointed with this, this version of Hulk, because there's no moment where... Where Banner Hulk, like, freaks out and, like, ha goes on a tantrum and attacks everyone and loses control. And I'm happy about that. I'm happy with that. I'm happy about that because that happens in every Marvel movie. You know, there's always a point where Hulk freaks out and goes on a rampage. And and I, I, think, it, I think they left it out of this one because they just didn't have time for a scene like that. So, I'm happy about it. I'm kind of, I'm, I'm over it. I'm, I'm kind of sick of... That's the problem with Hulk is, like, the most entertaining part is that he's the Hulk, but Bruce Banner doesn't want to become the Hulk because he goes on a rampage. Like, Professor Hulk fixes the Hulk movie problem. You, like, if, if Marvel wanted to talk to Universal and they wanted to do another Hulk movie, they could do it now because now we don't have to sit and wait for Mark Ruffalo to turn into the Hulk. He, he, he just is now. That's just his character. And, like... He's so, like, happy and, like, jokey in this movie. He's happier and more jokey than he has been in other movies. And I think it, it just, it works for that character at this point. Because he's over the anger. He, he's calm the entire time. and Like, he, he's calm the entire time. And that harkens back to, funny enough, that harkens back to The Incredible Hulk. Because one of the things in that movie was, was Bruce Banner, like, doing meditation and stuff. Like, that's a nice little callback. Even if this movie, like, has, like... Even if the MCU kind of ignores the Incredible Hulk, that's kind of a, a natural evolution of what kind of Bruce Banner we saw in the Incredible Hulk. Um, that being said, that he doesn't do too much. Like, he has a conversation with the Ancient One. I was surprised to see her in this movie. But again, it makes sense. We get an explanation as to why... Like, what the Ancient One was doing during the Battle of New York, which is cool. Um, Banner is the one to undo Thanos' snap when they have the Infinity Gauntlet. Um, I like that a lot, too, because, it, again, it harkens back to Avengers 1, where the, the Cosmic Cube or the Tesseract or the Space Stone, whatever you want to call it, the only radiation it gave off was gamma radiation. And, of course, gamma radiation is, all, is like the Hulk's deal. So I really like the moment where Hulk is, like, looking at that, and he's like... It's mostly gamma radiation. Uh, it's like I was made for this. Like that. That's just a. I, I like the line delivery of that too, actually. But I mean, other than that, he doesn't really get a moment where 
Hulk punches Thanos and kind of gets his his uh, his revenge, his closure. Because I, I guess he doesn't really need it, you know. His closure is that he's accepted that he is the Hulk and he is also Banner. And that works for him. Like, Hulk is just an enjoyable character in this movie in such a new and fresh way. Um, just seeing him do human things but also be the Hulk. Like, it gave me, it kind of gave me, like, uh, vibes of Ben Grimm, the thing. Uh, especially when he was, like, talking to kids and getting a photo with them. Like, that. that's very, like, thing of him. And I, I enjoy that a lot. Um... <clears throat> Clinton Barton goes down a very interesting road, because uh, he gets he gets Frank Castle basically. After the snap happened, the snapping, <laughs> uh, Hawkeye's family gets erased, and it's just him left. And in that five year gap, Hawkeye becomes Ronan. Now they don't call him Ronan, but he's wearing the Ronan costume, and he's got like a, a samurai Japanese tattoo. And, like, a weird haircut now. So he's basically Ronan. We're just not going to say that he's Ronan. Because um, there's no context to him being Ronan. It's not like his master died. No, his family died. Um, but, like, I love the Ronan costume in this movie. Um, especially, like, the leg bits. Like, the... I don't know what you talk, they call them. Like, the guards that are on his legs. Um, I like that he has a sword now. And he's using different, like, weapons. And different, like, fighting styles and stuff. They just, they made Hawkeye just really cool in this movie, which I think he absolutely needed. Because I think, I think with Civil War, he kind of just felt there. Like, they had a spot to fill, and they were like, I don't know, Hawkeye? I know he said he's in retirement, but I don't know, pull him out. <laughs> um, but he just had, he had much more purpose in this movie than probably any other movie. Like, he had a little bit of purpose in Age of Ultron, for obvious reasons, his family was in that movie. Um... But just it was just a strong direction to put Hawkeye in, um, and it kind of it defines some of the moments later when he tries to sacrifice himself for the Soul Gem. Um, it, it puts all that it puts that into perspective, and him losing, you know, Black Widow, which we're going to talk about at some point soon. Um, him losing Black Widow and the kind of the like he 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 like talks he he talks smack to Thor uh, based on that. Like after Black Widow dies, they're all standing around. And Thor's like, it doesn't mean anything. We have time travel. It's fine. And and Clint, again, because it's the soul gem, he just he kind of just knows you, you can't undo it. It's not a rental situation. It's like you purchased this thing, and now you're just going to put this thing back. You're not getting get your money back on it. Um, and he tells Thor, like, go tell the fucking red-faced guy on that planet, and you tell him. You find him and you tell him. Because I, I can't. Because I'm just a dude. I know I'm just a dude, and you're a god. But if that's the case, then you go do it yourself, because I don't know what to tell you. So, again, just, Hawkeye had a lot of cool moments, I think. Just really strengthening up that character, which is good, because he's, he's getting a, a Disney Plus show. So, we kind of need Jeremy Renner to start pulling a bit more weight in these movies. Um, and then, of course, Black Widow, who has some of the large, largest responsibility in this movie... Uh, she's kind of the one that pulls the Avengers together during that five-year gap. Like, she organizes the quote-unquote new Avengers, uh, with Rocket and Captain Marvel and stuff. And she's just, like, this disheveled, sleepless, um, you know, monitor for all things in the universe. Like, she's trying to keep the peace and she's trying to do the right thing, but, like, it's obvious that the failure is still stuck on her and she's not 
taking care of herself anymore, and she's worrying too much about little things like underwater earthquakes, <coughs> Namor. Um, like she's just she's just kind of a mess. But you know, when they get the mission started, she she's on it because there's there's hope now. But uh, oh yeah, like like. Uh. Like, Scarlett Johansson just, like, she, she's the first, I mean, she's kind of the first female character, if you really want to bite straws or whatever. <sighs> I don't know, but Black Widow, I, I've never been a huge fan of her, but in this movie they do some, some cool character stuff with her, and, and then the death happens, <laughs> and like, I don't know, man, like, I, I didn't expect her to die. Like, I knew someone on the Avengers was probably going to die. Tony, again, I wasn't really surprised, but, like, Black Widow was surprising just because I knew she had a movie coming up, and I know that movie's going to be a prequel, but, like, it's, it's probably going to be the first time I really am not looking forward. I guess I have to see a trailer first, but at the moment, I'm not looking forward to a Black Widow movie just because I don't think you can get any better than her, her send-off. You can't do any better than her death. Um, but, yeah, I mean... Her being the one to die is interesting, and it kind of makes sense, because Black Widow's whole character is defined by trying to do one right thing for, like, everyone. Like, her sacrificing herself to get the soul gem so that the Avengers can save half of the people that were eliminated or whatever, or, you know, the people that were killed by Thanos. That's her, that's her redemption. You know, that's her ultimate redemption. There's, there's nothing more she could do to prove that she's more than what, like, the KGB made her. She's not an assassin, she's not a murderer, she's not a horrible person with no heart in her chest. Like, she made the ultimate sacrifice to bring everyone back. Like, she's an Avenger, she's a hero, she is a good person, and that's that's her proof of it. You know, <laughs> proof that Black Widow has a heart, and it's splattered against the ground on, Vol on Volmir or whatever the fuck. Um... Yeah, she did a great job in this as well. Um, let's see, moving away from some of the classic Avengers, we have uh, Scott Lang, Ant-Man, who I'm so happy, you know, played by Paul Rudd, I'm so happy he had, like, an important role in this movie. Because, again, when he was in Civil War, it was kind of just like, okay, he's here. Oh, he went giant, that's cool. Anyway, like, it wasn't about him. Um, but here he gets to be, like, a big major player, like, He's the one that provides pin particles so that time travel is possible. He's the one that comes up with the idea of the time heist to go and take things. Um, I don't know if he's the one that has the idea of like taking them and then afterwards placing them back the moment after they were taken. Uh, that could have been like Hulk or Tony or something, but like again, just creative thinking on Scott's part. Um, he has some great, like, you know, small moments, and he also has, like, a, a great giant moment towards the end with the final battle where he sucker punches one of those leviathans that work for Thanos, and that's, like, that made it, like, I don't know, that felt like such, like, the most comic booky mo like moment in this movie, because the, mo the movie is full of comic book moments, but, like, seeing Scott Lang Ant-Man become giant and punch a, a, a stupid space whale while all the Avengers are also fighting aliens and fighting Thanos, just seeing that landscape shot of that happening just felt so comic booky and so good. I loved that moment. Um, but yeah, Ant-Man, he's important in this movie. And it's great, too, because he's not, he's not just important 
and funny. He's important, he's funny, and he has a, he, and he has baggage, you know? Like, while the rest of the world died off and moved on in five years, he was gone for five hours. Like, it, like honestly, watching Ant-Man come back to Earth and, like, escape the, the quantum realm, um, and then seeing him kind of just react to, oh, all these people are dead, oh, my daughter is, like, a teenager now, like the world is barren, and, and something happened while I was gone. I was gone for five hours. Like, that felt so, like, Twilight Zone, and it works for this movie. And it's just, it's a unique feel that I think it gives the movie more of a presence when it's trying to make you feel sad for the characters. Um, all that being said, like, we... <laughs> this is the one reality that Doctor Strange saw where, like, a rat accidentally let Ant-Man out of the portal. Like, that rat is the greatest hero in the Marvel Universe, just because he, he, he ran around on that Vance control pad and things worked out in the end. Um, let's see. This character doesn't get a lot of play, but I wanted to mention her because she's the newest character in these movies. Uh, Carol Danvers, Captain Marvel, played by Brie Larson. Um, I was pretty happy with, like, how much they didn't give her. Because, <laughs> um, again, like, for me... Brie Larson, the Captain Marvel character, I, I don't dislike her, but she still has to prove herself, to me at least. I know I'm just a white guy and she probably doesn't care what I think, but like, I don't know, I was satisfied that the Russos didn't make her uber important, but they also recognized the fact that Captain Marvel is the strongest Avenger, like, there right now. So, like, you know, we see her towards the beginning... After the five-year gap, she's kind of, like, on Space Patrol because, like, she's the equivalent of the Avengers, and she has to watch all of space. So that explains why she's so busy. Um, they leave a lot of stuff kind of open-ended. Like, again, it's it's 2023 or whatever. Does Did Carol... Uh, did she re-meet with the, the Rambeau family? Did Carol, like, hook up with War Machine like she does in the comics? Um, or is she gay? Like, what? what is what is the deal with Carol? We don't know, because it's not important right now. Um, and I'm glad they didn't tell us, because, again, it's not important right now. Um, and she comes back in towards the end of the movie to help with that final fight. And, again, like, I think that was treated w really well. Like, the Thanos' big ship is, is sh shooting down on the, on the battlefield, even killing his own men, and suddenly the ship changes its target to this, like, single person who's flying through the sky and it's Captain Marvel who just destroys that ship like she did in her movie because um, she has experience destroying like Kree vessels and stuff so that was cool uh, her moment where like her A-Force moment is what people are going to call it um, that was pretty cool I kind of feel like it wasn't really needed because she's so strong by herself um, what else I feel like there was another bit with her that I thought was really cool. Oh, uh, the bit where she, like, prevents a snap from happening again. Because, you know, past Thanos is about to snap using the Infinity Gauntlet, and she just fucking stops his hand because she's so strong. And then he tries to headbutt her, and it's like nothing. Like, not, doesn't even flinch. Just bonk, nothing happens. Um, yeah, I think, I, I think Captain Marvel was just used really well in this movie because she was used so sparingly. Sparingly. She was used sparingly. All the attention wasn't on her, but when it was, it was on her because she was a strength, and she was like the cavalry of the Avengers. She is important because she helped them win. 
she isn't important because she's the <clears throat> the main character or nothing. Um, I don't know. I just think the Russos, they didn't Doctor Strange her, where they tried to make her better than her own movie. Because, again, I feel like Doctor Strange is a much more enjoyable character in, um, <clears throat> in Infinity War than he is in his own movie. But the Russos didn't feel the need to do that with Captain Marvel, because, again, movie's not about her. Movie doesn't doesn't focus on her. She's she's here as like a fist of the Avengers, and it works for that character. Um, Nebula. This really was Nebula's movie. Uh, she's played by Karen Gillan. Uh, yeah. I've always like wanted Nebula to be more important in these movies because she's the other daughter of Thanos. Um, so it's great to actually see her. It's cool to see Nebula on the Avengers. Like that's really unexpected. It's cool to see her have a working relationship with Rocket. Because they both lost people. Um, it's cool to see her interact with like War Machine. Because again, that's you wouldn't expect that pairing. But it works pretty well. Um, and it's it's nice to see her just be a good guy. Like especially towards the beginning of the movie. You know, before the five year gap. When she and Tony are just stuck in space. And they're playing like, uh, like, like paper football. Like that's just, it's just cute, you know. Cause she doesn't, she doesn't say yay or smile. She doesn't shake her hands excitingly. Like she, ju she just like when she has fun, she says she had she had fun, and it's just straightforward and it's just kind of adorable because she doesn't fully fully grasp emotions yet. Um, but she is like this. I feel like she, Nebula should just get more love in general because she's like this tortured, constantly altered, cybernetic person who all she ever wanted was to make Thanos proud, and of course Thanos could only ever celebrate Gamora because she was better. Like, 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 what is it? Nebula is the perfect example of, like, an abused child. Or a neglected child. And, you know, constantly being belittled because she's not good enough, like her big sister. Like, that's just, that's so, it's just, ah, bah. It's such a strong uh, background for a character that it really does work for, for these films. Um... She gets a lot to do. I'm surprised that there's no moment of her trying to use the Infinity Gauntlet like she does in the comics. But it makes sense, because one of the things I actually really loved about the, the Infinity Gauntlet in, like, the MCU, at least in this universe, is that using it will probably kill you unless you're really strong. Because the problem with the Infinity Gauntlet is literally anyone could put it on and then change reality however they want to. But now the MCU Infinity Gauntlet kind of has these rules of, oh, well, yeah, you can use it, but, like, it's, it takes a lot of life force energy to do it. Like, it, it, only the strong can use these gems. Like, that's cool. That's a cool rule that keeps, uh, you know, Joe Schmo from using the Infinity Gauntlet. Um, but yeah, Nebula is done really well. She kills her past self. Again, kind of confirming that just because you change the past, it doesn't mean the future is different. And that, that kind of goes back to the Captain America thing. Like, past Nebula is killed, past Thanos is killed... Um, who else, who else in the past is, like, killed? Um, I guess past Tony has a heart attack. So, like, clearly the health or existence of characters in the past doesn't affect the MCU's present. So, that's why I firmly believe that Captain America going back in time to the 40s and then living back up to now doesn't change the MCU timeline. It's the same. That's, that's my stance on it. 
Like, I don't have an explanation for you, but the fact that the timeline stays the same with the rules that they've established, we can only believe that. We can only believe that the timeline stayed the same because that's the rule they set up. Leaving it there. <laughs> but, all that being said, Nebula, great character. Like, just, I, I, I love this character now more than, like, over the course of the films. Like, I think it's, I think it was, like, Guardians 2, I really started to, like, care about this character. Um, it's just, it's just, she's, she's a cool character. She works. She has the kind of baggage that, like, she can complain about, but, like, it doesn't get, uh, it doesn't get repre repetitive, you know? Like, oh, we get it, you were taken apart and put together with different robot machines. Like, no, that's dark and fucked up, and it reminds you, Thanos is not a cool guy. <laughs> Thanos is not a great guy. But, uh, needless to say, Thanos, again, in this movie, as kind of like a, like an afterthought of a villain, because Infinity War was all about Thanos. Infinity War was Thanos' movie. So, when Thanos is killed at the beginning of Endgame, and, like, halfway through the movie, we end up dealing with past Thanos, it's, it's like a whole different ballgame, because this Thanos is, uh, what is he, he's like five years young, well, no, he's not even five years younger, he's like ten, well... No, yeah, he's five years younger. Like, this is a, a Thanos is five years younger. He's, like... He hasn't even started finding the Infinity Gems yet, or Infinity Stones yet. Um, but because because Nebula shares a Wi-Fi signal, basically, or a network or whatever, he becomes... Oh, like, when... Cause, it's stupid. It, like, this is the one plot hole I gotta admit. Is like... If Nebula... I guess Nebula wouldn't know, is the thing. Because when Nebula goes back in time... To the events of Guardians of the Galaxy, past Nebula can see present Nebula's memories because they're on the same technological wavelength. Like they're, they're, they run on the same system, so they can see each other's memories. That's how past Thanos finds out about this time travel stuff. But it's also how past Thanos finds out that he will win and he will get his way. And in a, way, in a way that is what ends up sabotaging him, because he's so confident in himself that he will win, that he is inevitable, that he screws himself over and loses in the end. So, you know, it, yeah, that's the thing. I, I was going to, like, point out another plot hole, but, like, whatever, this is long enough. Um, yeah, Josh Brolin, again, just does a great job at Thanos, does a great job of, like, especially with this Thanos... He felt way more, like, uh, what's the word? Pompous, I guess. Like, there was a lot more talking down. There was a lot more speeches about how how his destiny is bigger and more important than than trivial uh, human waste like the Avengers. Like, he's just much more up his own ass, um, which makes it more satisfying when he gets killed. Because um, it ends the Thanos problem, and... It's just cool because it's like it's a it's a real victory over Thanos. It's not a mercy killing. You know this Thanos didn't get to do what he wanted to do. The Avengers won. The Avengers defeated Thanos. They brought everyone back. Happy ending. And yeah, people had to die to get there. But hey, you gotta you gotta break a few eggs. Am I right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. Thanos could afford to be simpler in this movie because he had all his character stuff in the last one. Uh, yeah, but I think I'm going to do a separate podcast about, like, um, all the time travel stuff, because, like, 
does this mean new timelines are created? Does does this mean people aren't going to be alive, or they'll, or they'll be back alive in the present? And time travel, how does that work? I'm gonna I'm gonna do a thing about time travel in Endgame because it's it's a lot. There's a lot of I did a video on it on the Facebook if you want to check that out, but otherwise I might just do a separate uh, podcast for that time travel bit. Um, just to clear up any confusion, because I know people might get the wrong idea. Like, Dan, like Loki isn't alive now, and um, what is it? Captain America didn't change history by going back in time. I'm going to get more into that when I do that podcast. Um, but yeah, a couple of things to look forward to in the future, just based off of this movie. Um, maybe an A-Force movie? I know a lot of people want one now that they saw that one scene where all the female Avengers characters teamed up. I don't think we'll get an A-Force movie, but I think that Captain America, or sorry, either Captain Marvel 2 or 3 will be an A-Force movie. You know, like, she'll she'll want to build a team, or she'll have a team in space, um, or something. I think that one of those movies will just be A-Force. Or, you know, if Black Widow somehow does come back to life, maybe she'll start A-Force, and it'll be like a covert ops kind of, uh, Secret Avengers kind of thing. Um, let's see... Disney Plus shows, a lot of these characters are going there. Scarlet Witch is getting a show. Loki's getting a show. Um, Falcon and Winter Soldier are getting a show. There's one more character, I think. Oh, yeah, Hawkeye. Hawkeye's getting a Disney Plus show. Um, and that that kind of plays into my theory about the Young Avengers being a thing. Um, if you're not super into Marvel and you don't know who the Young Avengers are, they are essentially a teenage team of uh, superhero characters who somehow relate back to, like, classic Avengers characters. Um, and I think that there's going to be places in, like, the forthcoming Disney Plus shows where they kind of tease and hint towards uh, the Young Avengers. Um, like, to start, we know that Scott Lang's daughter is now a teenager because of that five-year time gap. Um, so she, in the comics, Cassie Lang becomes Stature and later Stinger, so... You know, the third Ant-Man movie could be Ant-Man and Stature, or Ant-Man and Stinger. Uh, I kind of hope it's Ant-Man versus Ant-Man, just so we can get the shitty, irre irredeemable Ant-Man, Eric O'Grady, in there. Uh, but, like, that's that's a lock-in. You know that's going to happen. You know Scott's daughter is going to become a superhero. Hawkeye has a teenage daughter. Um, in the comics, there's a second Hawkeye named Kate Bishop, who starts when she's a teenager. She's a, she becomes a member of the yeah, she becomes a member of the Young Avengers. So you know, easily Hawkeye's daughter could kind of take the place of Kate Bishop in the MCU. Uh, what else? Scarlet Witch, in a in a in a in a series of weird events, uh, Scarlet Witch has children. Uh, with the Vision, who are Wiccan and Speed, and Wiccan has Scarlet Witch's powers, Speed has Quicksilver's powers for some reason, because it's, it's, it's kind of gross. Uh, but, like, point is that there's, like, a Scarlet Witch kid, and there's a Quicksilver kid, and they're on the Young Avengers. So, Scarlet Witch is getting a Disney Plus show with the Vision, so maybe, somehow, those characters will get created for the MCU. Um... What else? What else? Uh, oh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. There's a character on the young, on the Young Avengers called Patriot. 
Um, I only know of the first one, Eli. I know there's a second one. I don't know anything about him. But <clears throat> Patriot was a black teenager whose grandfather was a failed super soldier, like, uh, uh, candidate. So it, the powers kind of skipped, and now this kid gets Captain America powers. It would be a great place to put him just because, again, Bucky and Falcon are closely related to Captain America and that legacy. So that would be a great place to introduce Patriot. And then the last one would be Loki because Loki, at a point in the comics, was punished by Odin and turned into a child, um, like an 11 or 12-year-old. And during that period, you know, kid Loki became a member of the Young Avengers because he wanted to like do better and hang out with kids his own age. So maybe that's what the Loki show will end up becoming or turning into. Uh, point and, and, oh, and then the last bit, obviously, is Tony Stark's daughter, Morgan Stark. Um, is it Morgan or Morgana? I think it's Morgan. Um, she is obviously, like, four or five years old, but if they're going to do more time travel, and if they're going to introduce, like, Kane the Conqueror, they could easily mix Morgan's character with that of Iron Lad, who's a time-traveling teenager in the comics who carries on the legacy of Iron Man, and just, like, make her Ironheart, or make her Rescue, and have a teenage version of Morgan Stark come to the present and start the Young Avengers. Uh, and there's president for that, because Morgan already exists after that five-year gap of time. And, to, to top off the Young Avengers theory, the Russo brothers did not forget about that kid from Iron Man 3, which is the best Iron Man. Um, the little blonde kid, I think his name's Riley, um, he doesn't have a comic book counterpart, but the fact that he shows up in Avengers Endgame as a teenager during Tony's funeral, maybe they're planning to do something with him on a Young Avengers project. Oof, that's, that's my Young Avengers theory right there. I gotta write that down so that it's not as annoying to listen to later. Um... Again, Thor might be in uh, Asgard in uh, Guardians Three or as Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, the The big future for for Endgame that I think could lead to a lot of possible villains is the idea that the snap happened, but then it was undone because when people come back from the snap, when they come back from the snap, when they come back, they are the same age that they they were disintegrated as. So, like, in the case of Peter Parker, he was, like, 16 when he got evaporated. Five years passed, which means any of the kids at his school who didn't die are now five years older and graduates and probably in college. Peter Parker comes, Peter Parker comes back and he's 16, and the, his friends that he knew are, like, college age. Like, that's a weird, that's a weird story bit um, that is totally a real thing. Um, there's also the possibility of, like, what if your family died and you start, in, in the five-year gap, you started a new family, you got a new wife, you had new kids, but then they all come back, and now you can't have them back, and you can't really have your current family, like, you can't choose, because, like, you thought they were dead, so you moved on, like, they, that creates, like, a reverse Zemo situation, it, it creates a lot of possible avenues for, like, villains and, and drama points in these movies. So, I think the fact that the snap happened and it was undone is going to play a large part in the future Marvel movies. 
So that's kind of a bit that I'm looking forward to. So obviously I have to give Avengers Endgame an A+. Um, if you're looking for flaws in time travel, you're, you might not agree with me, but like if you kind of just accept and trust the Russo brothers on that time travel stuff, there's not really a lot of problems with the movie. Like, you can say that it's too long, but, like, it's long because it's trying to give you, like, it's trying to wrap up so many story points and cap off so many characters. There's a lot of slow, like, character-focused moments that, yeah, you could cut them out and, like, get the runtime down to, like, two and a half hours, but those character moments are what make the movie because they remind you of how human these characters are and how far they've come. Um, you know, I, I have to give it an A+, plus because you can't, you can't judge Avengers Endgame the same way you judge, like, a run-of-the-mill movie. Because this isn't a movie you can just walk into off the cuff. This is, this is a bookend to an entire series of movies, to a, an entire decade of, of, of rises and falls, and characters changing, and characters reappearing, and characters dying, like, this isn't just a movie. Like, th this is part of a larger picture. Like, this isn't Avengers Endgame. This is Marvel Cinematic Universe Endgame. This is Marvel Cinematic Universe, like, one, and we've reached the end of the first movie, and now we have to move on to the next chapter, the next era of Marvel stuff. So, you know, you I can't judge it just as a movie. I have to look at it as, uh, like, a, a finale to a decade of, of awesome content and just a, this amazing, amazing project. I can't express enough how impressive it is that the MCU can exist in a day and age like this. A day and age where Batman and Superman suck. You know, a day and age where Aquaman and Shazam are household names that are popular. I can't express how impressive it is that this 10, this, this 11 year project that hinges on B-list characters like Iron Man and Z-list characters like Guardians of the Galaxy, and it hinges on all these deals with Universal and Sony Pictures and, and buying 20th Century Fox, like, all of these business deals and these small achievements of making, like, uh, of making obscure characters popular and, like, harkening back to, to what people remember, but also giving people new nostalgia for characters that they weren't nostalgic for before... It's amazing. It's amazing the way the MCU has programmed itself into the cultural zeitgeist and into our heads. Like, look, look, if you're still on the fence on whether or not the MCU is amazing or just there, let me ask you this, okay? Let me ask you this. <clears throat> Do you know who Taserface is. You do? What more do I got to tell you? The MCU works. Avengers Endgame gets an A+. Go see it. Go see it two times. Go see it three times if you really have the, the open space for it. Because, I mean... I may be saying this too early, but, like, how much better can this get, right? Like, how... I... I I pity the people who have to do this again in another 10 years. But, uh, yeah, that's just my opinion on the movie. Go to panelbuyer.podby.com, panelbuyer.blogspot.com. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. 
And uh, thank you for listening so much. I'm going to take a nap. Uh, have a good one. Bye-bye.